morning and my name's Glennis and I just want to share something about why I appreciate my mum. I think beyond anything I appreciate that mum introduced me to my heavenly father. She had a wonderful, wonderful faith even though she died from cancer at 55. But also, she was a wonderful sewer. And she made me the most beautiful clothes. And I never, ever saw a clothes, any clothes that were bought until I was about 13. So, what a beautiful mum. And now I want to read from Psalm 139. And if you'd like to look that up, it's Psalm 139. And we're going to be starting at verse 13. Now, while you're looking that up, I just want to let you know that this Psalm for me is very precious because God knows us so intimately. From this psalm I have found that he knows us more than we know ourselves. And so we're going to start the psalm in verse 13 and hear about his love and his creation of us. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you before, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Good morning, my name is Susan and my amazing mother, who's been gone nearly 18 years, still has a huge impact on all of our lives in the family and is fondly remembered. But one of the things that I appreciated most about my mother, that life was not always easy for her. She was brought up in the Depression, in country Victoria, through a severe drought. Mum didn't always like change. In fact, she hated change. But she learnt to embrace it because it was inevitable, and she learnt to make the best of all situations. So for her, I always appreciate the resilience that has been found. And our reading, the second reading, comes from Colossians, chapter 3, starting at verse 1. I'll give you a moment while you look through your tablets or your 
iPhones or even your old-fashioned Bibles if you're at home. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's have a prayer. All my life, Lord, you've been faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. Your goodness, Lord, is running after all of us. And we pray now as you speak to us that we would turn and receive that goodness, that we would turn and face you and allow you to minister to us and to bless us in your goodness, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to everybody that's here today and welcome to you on YouTube, on that camera. Thanks for joining in today. And happy Mother's Day to those of you that are mothers. I'm a mother of two adult daughters. And my name's Deborah, and I started working here at the beginning of this year. So if I haven't met you yet or you haven't come up and spoken to me, please come up and speak to me and say hello at the end of the service. And of course, no pressure. I know you're not expecting much now after what Suzanne has said. So just trust God for everything. So I'm going to actually start by telling you about my mum and some of the things I'm um, yep, happy about. That's my uh, mother's father. He was the Inspector General of Mental Health in New South Wales, and that's him on the day that he was uh, inaugurated. She became a very she came from a very privileged family, and she had a very privileged upbringing in many ways. But having a father who was a psychiatrist didn't stop her from having, by the time she was 19, a fairly significant mental health history, 
And she married at 19, and she took that, these issues into her marriage. And mum was absolutely beautiful. She was a successful model. She worked when other women didn't work. She had a car when other women didn't have cars. And it could be exciting having a mother like her. We did some things that other kids did not get to do, I can tell you. And when my mother decided that she liked something, she liked it 110%. So I, I think it was Glennis that just said her mother used to sew. When my mother sewed, my mother sewed for 24 hours in a row. When they said, do something, make your um, child a fancy dress outfit for the whatever it was you did at school, you should have seen ours. It, like, they were amazing. My mother took us places, and my mother loved us. And we absolutely knew that my mother loved us. She adored us. But she was unstable, and it was really hard for her, as it's really hard for some of you. And your experience of your mothers has been really hard, and sometimes it was hard for us. But she absolutely loved us. And when she left us, she said she left us because she loved us. And we always believed that, that she felt that the mother that she was wasn't able to stay around and do what she felt that she wanted to do. For her, it was a sacrifice. And I will get back to mum later. So it wasn't over there. Her life did spiral out of control over the next 15 years, but it wasn't the end of her story. She was a very loving woman, doing her absolute best. But nonetheless, there were not a few times over the years when I thought to myself, as much as she loved us, I don't really want to be like my mother. There was lots of things that were challenging about my mother and I didn't really want to be like her. Which didn't really work out because she was the first person that I had a lot to do with and I ended up with heaps and heaps of the things. Being just like my mother, perhaps not as beautiful as my mother, she was very beautiful. It's a story for another day. But it's sad, isn't it? Because those that care for us in those first few years of life, those primary givers, mother or father or other, most often, mother are the ones that give us our first idea of who we are. They give us that first initial sense of self, that shape our identity. Or are they? We had a psalm that says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The psalm is telling us that before we were born, God knew us. He was present. He knew who we would become. But when we're born, our primary caregivers are the ones with the most obvious influence. And while that influence might last for a very, very long time, it's not the last influence that forms our identities. These days, we live in a culture that encourages us to find our identity to be truly ourselves, to be authentic. And as parents, we're given the challenge to let our children find themselves, to let them make their own decision, to let them find themselves and not give them a whole lot of stuff that's going to stult their authenticity and their, who they are, what their true identity is. And there are plenty of people and organisations wanting to help us out with solutions for any obstacles 
There's plenty of companies. Coca-Cola says, just have a drink and you will open happiness. They trademarked open happiness so that nobody could use it. They are so convinced that this is going to sell it to you. And do you want to launch a new product? Well, Forbes has some ideas. Seven tips. Tip number four is make it exclusive. People generally want something more when they can't have it. That's true, isn't it? What about number six? Partner with rock stars. Influencers hold a lot of sway over their followers. We're targeted and offered solutions to problems that sometimes we don't even know we have. But the solutions are so tempting. And I think we can put some of those tempting solutions into categories. One of them is the possession, possession solution. The more you own, the more you consume, the more you have, the happier you'll be. Just find the stuff that makes you happy. Or alternatively, these days, get rid of all your stuff. Have no possessions. Minimalist. Go to the drawers and do the, I always forget her name, Mary Kwondo or, is that her? Yeah. Kwondo, I, I always forget her, but I'm very impressed by her. The no possession solution. The performance solution. Perhaps I'll find my identity in my performance. How good I am at my job, how good I am at my uh, job as a CEO, as a mother, as a father, as a daughter as a teacher, as a student. Perhaps I'll be good at that. But excessive performance orientation is a personality trait that people are encouraged to get help with. And because it's a personality trait that people have, people use it to abuse it, to get as much performance. The performance solution, perhaps, perhaps not a way to find my identity. And the popularity solution, perhaps I'll be happy if I'm popular. Maybe if I get lots of likes on Instagram, although apparently these days you're the only one that'll know that. Is that right? Nobody else can see how many likes you get on Instagram, I was told recently. How can I get my video to blow up on TikTok? Maybe that will mean I'm popular. How much clout do I actually have? Or am I better defined by how unpopular I am? How many people don't like me? How isolated and lonely I feel? Perhaps that's the solution to my identity. For many people, who am I? Find my identity journey. How can I be happy? It's painful and it's long and for some people it's never over. It goes on and on and on, trying, trying, trying to find a solution, to find who I am to get to that happiness and to that contentment. And then if we do settle on something, and sometimes we do, what if the goalposts change? What if we settle on something and everything changes? Who remembers or knows and has heard about Barbie? Put up your hand if you've heard of the Barbie doll. Put up your hand if you've heard of the Cindy doll. Not as many. And you know why fewer people have heard of the Cindy doll? Because the BBC tells us Barbie crushed Cindy. Crushed her. Now, when I was growing up, I wanted a Barbie. And I remember getting a Barbie. And I actually remember thinking how exciting it would be to have a Barbie. And that Barbie in the golden cream striped dress, I had that Barbie. But that Barbie had short hair. 
I wanted a Barbie actually with long hair. So it was kind of a bit of a disappointment. But it was a Barbie because it wasn't a Cindy. But what if, at the time, Cindy had crashed Barbie and I had got a Barbie? Where would I have left me? Where would I have left my identity or my idea of who I was? Now, that's a trivial example, isn't it? But transfer it to any of the things that you want. It's not so trivial. If we settle on something and the goalposts move, it's gone. Everything can change. So is there another way? And Psalm 139 tells us again that there is another way. I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. Someone has knit me together. Someone has knit me together. My performance, possessions, my popularity, or a combination of all those things will often let me down. Centering who I am, my identity in that will often let me down. But the one that made me, the one that knit me together, the one that was there before I was born, he will never let me down. Now, it's important that you don't hear me say that possessions, performance, or popularity are bad things. They're not bad things. They're absolutely great things. But striving after them to find my identity, striving after them in place of God, that is a bad thing. And it has bad consequences. Going after something that wasn't God is what was Adam and Eve's sin. There's nothing wrong with eating fruit. In itself, it's not a moral act. It's not a bad thing itself. But they ate the priests of fruit so that they could be like God. That was the temptation. When you eat the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. They may have heard something like this. You won't need God. You will have it all. With no restrictions whatsoever, you'll be free to be yourself. You just need this one more thing. And the choice that they made is the choice that human beings have been making ever since. God's way or my way? Mine. And there are consequences when we say mine. We can't have the life we were meant to have in God when we hold on to mine. In fact, we lose our life at this point. It has eternal consequences when we hold on to mine. But Colossians tells us there is a way. Is there another way? If I have been holding on to mine, is there a way back? Even when we've chosen mine, we can turn around. A way back always means a turning. We can turn around and we can receive Jesus Christ as Lord, which means we can turn around and acknowledge our sin of calling on other things other than God to define who we are, which means acknowledging Jesus' death and resurrection for that sin. And Colossians tells us that when we do that, our life is now hidden with God in Christ. Hidden, but available. It's hidden in the sense that it's protected. Receiving Christ Jesus as Lord gives us a hope that when Jesus comes again, we will fully realise our potential in him. We will be fully who he created to be, in communion with him and with other people. And until that time, until that time when he comes back again, he has us covered. He's protecting us. He's hidden us in the shadow of his wings. We're safe. 
but available because actually we're still here and we're still living before that time. We've still got skin in the game and there's a lot of things to do and he's given us a way to do it. We continue to live our lives in him, in Christ, holy and dearly as loved as his people, all of us, gathered together and loved as his people. But each of us as individuals, known so well and intimately that he counts the number of hairs on our head. That's how well he knows us. And when we live our lives in Christ in this way, we won't be taken in. However appealing hollow and deceptive philosophies might be, however appealing the marketers might be, when we consider the solutions that are offered to us to find our identity, to get happiness and contentment, we can decide which ones fit with being in Christ. What works We know what the bad ones are, but some of these aren't bad things. So we won't be taken in because we are in Christ. Across times and cultures, wherever you are, whatever role or position or place you have at any time of the day, and we all have more than one, we are all fulfilling all sorts of roles and jobs and responsibilities, we're in Christ first. God knew you first. And he can bring all that you are to that, whatever that role is, be it mother or father, son, daughter, whatever. But it's not magic. There's still work to be done. It's not like the day that you say, yes, I receive Jesus Christ as Lord, that all the struggles go away. It's just a search for authenticity in Christ. Who am I in Christ Colossians tells us that there are some things that we can do. We can get rid of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language and lying. We've heard those lists before. If you've been in church once, you've heard a list of things to be and a list of things not to be. That's the list of things to not to be and this is the list of things to clothe yourself with. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience and forgiveness. Authentic Christians, people who have their identity in Christ, they behave in certain ways. So yes, there's work to be done because we're not born like this. But it's not work that we're left to do alone. First, we have the Holy Spirit. As we seek to put off anger, he helps us. As we seek to put on compassion, he helps us. Our work is to acknowledge our weakness, confess our sins, and cooperate with him. His work is to transform us from the inside out, so that in Christ, when we take our roles, this is the person we're being transformed to be in those loves, in those roles. And secondly, we do it together. Over all these virtues, the ones that we just looked at, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, this letter to the Colossians was written to the church, to the whole church. You all, the church, put off all this stuff. You all, the church, be this in Christ, loving, compassionate, and kind. And then it says to the whole church, not just to the ministers in the church, but to the whole church, Admonish and teach each other. 
one to one. So we put on love and we speak the truth in love. In love, put on love first. It's not about being critical. And we say to each other, look, brother, or look, sister, I see in your life a lot more things from that anger list at the moment. Do you need some help with that? Can I come alongside you? Can I pray for you? What can I do for you? And I respond if I'm the brother and sister. Thank you for loving me enough to tell me. Thank you that you love me so much that you would tell me this so that we can work together and in God I can become authentically in Christ the way I was meant to be. Thanks, friend. You see, to be in Christ opens up a whole raft of possibilities. There are no cookie-cutter Christians. Every one of us created, known by God, number of hairs on head counted, each one of us a unique expression of who God is in the world, a unique expression of being in Christ, absolutely an identity that nobody else has. He created you to be someone absolutely unique and then to come together in the body and all be unique together as a message of his love to other people. But what if at this point you don't consider yourself to be in Christ? You haven't received Christ. You think, well, I've never really done that or I'm not sure that I've ever done that. Nothing changes in my life. Well, I want to encourage you if that's you to stop asking the question, who am I? And ask the question, who is Jesus? And ask him first. See, like that Sog said, his goodness is running after you, even if you're running away. Turn around and say, who are you, Jesus? Because he's there. If you're listening today, he wants you to say, who are you, Jesus? Ask the person you came with today. Join the Alpha course. Connect with someone here. Speak to somebody that you know. Say, tell me about Jesus. Because in Jesus, you'll find your true identity. Who are you, Jesus? Before I finish, I'll finish the story of mum. As I said, I hope you got the impression that mum was a wild card. And she was. And when I received Jesus as Lord, as an adult, I took every opportunity to share with her about Jesus. Come to Jesus, I used to say to her. And, you know, she, she was fun and she was wonderful, but she had some serious issues. She used to tell me how sorry she felt for me because Christians were so boring and I had been previously fun, apparently, and now was becoming increasingly boring, apparently. But one day in a taxi on her way to see a psychiatrist, one of, as you might imagine, many, many psychiatrists, a taxi driver told her about his experience of Jesus. And she saw the psychiatrist and she came back and she rang me up and she said, I believe. I remember thinking, I'll believe it when I see it. But I did see it. She did believe. She gave her life to Jesus. Did all her problems miraculously disappear? What do you think? That would be a no. They most assuredly did not. 
she had some stuff to deal with. We all had stuff to deal with. But it was so amazing, the transformation in her attitude. The transformation was incredible. And we did have some issues. I can tell you one of them. She decided that having... She decided in her own mind that she hadn't been a great mother all those years. So she thought that it would be absolutely wonderful to be a great mother now. And mum's idea of a great mother had mostly developed from the movies of the 50s. So she set out to be this new great mother to me. I tell you, as an adult, that did not work out for me. But we had some good times working it out over the next few years. She was a good mother because she was my mother. That was it. Like, you're the one. You're the one God gave me. You're the one I'm grateful for. Yeah, yeah, sure. There's some stuff back there, but we can work that out, and we did. And so this is a picture of my mum some uh, weeks before she died. It's her 70th birthday. She's having a living wake because she's decided to let everybody come say goodbye to her because she was a brilliant and extravagantly extrovert to the day of her uh, death that she was in life. And so she thought it'd be great if everybody had this opportunity and she wanted to tell everybody about Jesus being her Lord. I started saying there was some thing, I did, you know, at the beginning, I did not want to be like my mother in many ways, but I did want to be like my mother in this way. I wanted to have the same joy that my mother had knowing how fearfully and wonderfully made she was, having found her identity in Christ, having found that despite all the ways in which she perceived that she'd failed, God was able to take all that and redeem it. God was to take all that and heal things and bring her to this place where she trusted him entirely. Perfect? No. Struggle three? No. In Christ? absolutely in Christ, absolutely joyful. And I want that joy and I want that joy increasing. I don't want to settle for this much joy. I want it increasing as time passes and I want it for you as well. I want you to know the joy my mother knew, the joy that I know, the joy that some of you already know. If you know that joy now, ask for more. Do not settle for ordinary. I want more joy, more joy in the middles of struggles and pains. I want the joy of knowing and being in Christ. And through all the ups and downs of your daily life, through the struggles that you have, through the struggles if you're a mother of, I'm not doing this as well as I want to do it. Through the struggles if you can't be a mother of, I want that so much. Through any struggles or pains that you have, that you would find your joy in Christ, receiving him and walking in him. I've asked for a particular song to finish today. It's In Christ Alone, and I know that many of you like this song. It's a song from the Spirit. It goes on in Colossians to say, sharing songs from the Spirit. This is a song from the Spirit. We can sing and pray in our hearts even though we can't sing aloud. It's a song to celebrate being in Christ together. So we're all here individually, but we're all here together. It's a song to reflect on what he's done for us on the cross, to offer him our personal storms, our personal droughts, 
our struggles and our strivings, but also our joys and to stand in love. Because no power of hell, no scheme of man, none of those solutions that we're offered, nothing that we do can pluck us from the hand of God, from the love that is in Christ. Amen.